Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Great to have you back on the show, Gary. It's uh, always something we got to do at least once a year. Um, you know, as often as we talk about hunting, we've never gone hunting before, other than I guess if you counted bow fishing as hunting. Um, we've done some other fishing together. We did a, uh, what did we do, two wilderness trips together, yeah. one, one to Montana, one to the Boundary Waters. Uh, we need to put a hunt together here soon. And uh, Yeah, we definitely need to try to make that happen. Maybe even get Jake to come along too. Yeah, man, we got to get... Jake's a man in demand these days and uh, is uh, busy with uh, all the baby duties that uh, a uh, new dad has. So I'm actually going to do some dove hunting with Jake, though, this weekend. So I feel pretty pretty uh, lucky to get him for that. But great to have Gary back. And uh, we're going to talk deer hunting because it's almost deer season, especially if you live in Missouri or Wisconsin or Delaware, like Brandon, or, uh, man, where else has it opened up already? A few other places, I think. Uh, of course, out west, got some velvet muley seasons that have been open already. Alex already spent a week out in Nevada. Um, all sorts of stuff happening, but uh, here in uh, the heart of whitetail country in Iowa and for Gary, Illinois, uh, we got October 1 coming up, and really, I feel like September 1 is a significant date. Maybe you'd agree with this, Fike. Um, September 1 is so significant to me because I feel like anytime I'm out in the woods after that point, I'm kind of pushing it, you know, with it's good to give the woods a rest for, I think, it. if you can give it a month, that's great, you know. I mean... Two weeks isn't terrible, but but definitely a month is is really nice to be in and out of there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. First off, I just want to thank you again for having me on. It's always a pleasure to get on here and chat with you, and um, looking for, definitely looking forward to it. But yeah, I'd, I would definitely agree with that. That's why I, I try to do as much of my stand work as early as possible. Um, the other thing, you know, it's not even just so much the timing and the close proximity to the start of the season, but there's a lot of changes happening out there in the white till woods right now. And these, some of these bucks are already shedding their velvet and, uh, that just, they kind of turn into a different animal. Once that mm. happens, I feel like you can definitely get away with a lot more in the summer. Um, but once that, once they strip that velvet, they're a different critter. And, uh, every time you go out there, you are educating the deer that are on, that property with that being said i still just from running a lot of cameras over the you know last 10 years or so there's uh it seems like more often than not the buck that i'm gonna be hunting this fall he probably still isn't quite on my farm yet so um yeah we're getting to the point where you probably don't want to be out there any more than what you absolutely have to but on the other hand if you really need to get some stuff done better to do it now than in a few weeks from now when the buck that you're going to be hunting this fall is, is going to be living there because he still may not even be there quite yet. Yep. Yep. That's uh, that, those are good words of wisdom. And, um, you know, I, I think too, there's a difference in types of pressure, you know, um, 
a for instance last year Caleb and I we were we were hanging a stand on like September 7th it was just the time that we could finally get to do something and um we spooked a nice uh 150s 10 uh but we we spooked him in a controlled way if that makes sense like we saw him before he saw us and um uh, but I was stuck on the side of the tree with two sticks or strapping on the second stick. And, um, he was walking closer to us and closer to us and he got to within 15 yards of us. And, um, it's, and he was going to bed down for the day, you know? And it's like, well, we still got a lot of work to do here. Uh, so what we did was Caleb stood up really slowly, but like, you know, made sure he could be noticed and walked away from the buck and the buck never saw me. I was glued to the tree, but, um, it was a, I guess a soft bump. Like he didn't blow or anything. It was, he's like, Oh, there's something there, but it's going away from me. I'm going to get out of here just in case. And, um, sure enough, I saw him again, you know, I think the first time I went out to hunt him. So I think there's ways that you can, you know, if you do have kind of that worst case scenario, you can make it not the worst case scenario. You can make it a little bit, a little bit better. And, uh, but yeah, to your point, they're a different animal this time of year too. And you get away with less than what you could on a, on a warm summer evening, you know, out hanging up stands or even better yet. I really should have gotten it done during shed season, but I'm too, I'm too much of a shed head to give up any time uh, looking for antlers, but but uh no you're you're right gary i should have got it done earlier well i can i can understand you want to go out and do your shed hunt and that's a big part of the whole experience for you and and it is it is for a lot of us so i i can uh i can relate to that too yep well yeah i got so i got uh one of my stands uh all the way done tonight um man it is so hard to find good trees and and uh my part of the country in Iowa, you know, you have all these like little timber draws, you know, that are, that are just very narrow. You got to, a lot of times I don't really like doing this, but you have to hunt, hunt the property boundaries a lot of times because that's where trees are. And, uh, um, so finding the right tree was very challenging. And I definitely had to like settle on a tree a little bit. And, um, my so my stand is a little crooked because the tree is crooked. Um, the sticks are not too bad. It could be it could be better, but they could definitely be worse. But um, it was like when I was in there, it's like, yep, this is definitely an Iowa tree stand tree. You gotta you don't get many to choose from, so you gotta make do with it. But got that done, and uh, the kids were out there having fun, rolling around in the grass and. And uh, shed a few tears, of course, and Caitlin was a good help to me. But uh, I'd I'd like to get a few more stands up yet. But um, you know what? If I had to, if if the season opened tomorrow and I had a buck I was after that I knew I needed to get after tomorrow, I'd be able to go and hunt. So it's a good feeling. But well, I thought it'd be fun, Gary, to kind of start things out by asking you about your favorite buck you've ever hunted. You've killed, what do you think, maybe 20 bucks in your life? Yeah, probably pretty close to that, if not. If not more, maybe 25, yeah. something yeah, like probably that. Yeah, some, probably somewhere in there because there's been 
I think last year was a two buck year, but um, seems like a lot of years around one. It, it's probably right around that twenty mark, I'd guess. Yeah, so that's a lot of that's a lot of great hunting success. You've killed some real slammers in there. Um, I think my favorite one that you you killed was uh, Popeye. Just the uh, neck on that buck is is so impressive. I love that picture, and you had that awesome shed of his to go with it, and and um, just a cool story. It's kind of a redemption buck, really, for mm-hmm. you. And uh, so I, lo- I love that story. But what's your all time favorite that you've ever you've ever you- stuck? You already pegged it, old Popeye. He holds a really? spot in my heart. Yep, absolutely. So he's not the biggest one I've killed. I've killed a couple of biggers than him, but he was just really neat, old buck, beautiful cave, good, good history, um, good story, and uh, it was a really neat hunt and uh, one that I felt like I kind of needed at the time, and so it was really memorable memorable deer and uh he's definitely my favorite one and holds a special spot in my heart for sure old popeye was he the biggest bodied buck you've ever shot do you think he's got to be pretty close if not i'd say he probably was the the largest you know i haven't been in a good habit of weighing the the deer that i shoot but i'd say he was probably the biggest one I, i killed one this past fall um that was probably really, really close to his biggest Popeye, if not right there with him. But I think he was probably the biggest. He he was a toad. Yeah, just a massive, massive deer. And um, yeah. how old do you think he was, or do you know? I'm, I never did get his teeth aged or anything, but based on the history that I had with them, I guess it would be six and a half. Okay. So, so and I had four four years of history. So in the year one, I, I felt like he was probably a three-year-old. So, sure. Yeah. So a lot of pictures of him, seen him as a three-year-old. Um, I don't remember. I don't think I seen him as a four-year-old, but I got both of his sheds or one of his sheds from that year. Match set from when he was five and five was the year I shoulder punched him and then killed him at six. Wow. I yeah. ended up getting three, three sheds off of him, but that was the other neat part of the story is that I didn't find the sheds from when he was five until after you had already killed him. I found huh. those sheds. That's they pretty... were a year old, you know, the spring after I had shot him. Yeah. Did you, did you walk by him? Do you think? Or, or... Oh yeah. Yeah. I was close to him cause I was looking everywhere for him because he, he, he totally disappeared after I um, had hit him and couldn't find him. And so I was, I was looking for his carcass somewhere. Um, that's kind of what I was anticipating finding, and I didn't find that. Never found his antlers, and I thought he was gone until I started getting pictures of him again that summer. Wow, yeah. So there's a, a good argument for using uh, trail cameras again. Um, I've gone, I've been on the fence the last few years, Gary, with trail cameras, and uh, I'm getting back into it. Um, but uh, you know, there's. There's uh, another good reason to use them right there. If you got a buck that you're trying to keep tabs on, if you don't know if he's alive or not, that can uh, that can definitely give you that hope. But yeah, and it you know, but uh, with that being said, I was running cameras on that farm for almost a you know, I mean six or eight months, and uh, I know he was there because he shed his antlers there, and I never got any pictures of him the rest of that whole after I hit him or anything. Wow. You know, so, yeah, let's talk. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. I heard somebody once say that they think 
trail can and this guy is a absolute stone cold killer. He who's not afraid to uh speak his mind at all. I, I actually really enjoy listening to him on different podcasts, but um he once made the statement that he thinks tra- trail cameras lie to us. Um and I've thought about that a lot and uh that kind of applies to what you're, I mean, do you do you feel the same way? Like where where are you on trail cameras? I, I would agree with that statement. I think it's specific to the individual deer. Some of them don't care about the camera at all. It doesn't bother them. There's other deer that I feel like they avoid being around them. And uh, I, it makes perfect sense why they would, especially, you know, nowadays we got the cellular cameras. But back in the day when we were going out there swapping SD cards, changing batteries, you got a bunch of human scent that's centered right around that camera. And it's this weird, obscure box that's hanging on the side of the tree that either flashed at them or glowed red or maybe made some clicking sounds and it's totally unnatural mm-hmm. so i can see why some deer don't want to go in front of them and i've hunted around cameras before and you might see a half dozen deer and not a single one of them goes in front of that camera hmm. so you'll be avoid you know you might avoid a stand because you don't think anything's been moving through that area but they're only capturing such a small piece of the pie you know of what's really going on in that immediate area they're not getting everything but i can think of several examples so there with popeye shoulder punched him uh on november 9th 2015 never got another picture of him until probably sometime in august of 2016 but he was there because he shed his antlers on that farm within wow within uh 150 200 yards of a couple two or three different cameras where those sheds were so if his sheds are there he was living there i got no pictures of him same farm a few years later my dad shot a really really nice deer in 2020 no it was 2019 he's another one i think he was either five or six had three or four years history with him um we got sheds off of him when i think i think he was six uh, got match set from when he was four Really nice, beautiful, fresh set. He was a six by six, big head. Uh, we called him Stumpy, <laughs> and and then uh, we got a, we, I got a shut off of him from when he was five, and then I think Dad killed him at six. He may have only been five; it could have been three, four, five. But either way, on the farm multiple years, and we killed him. We had sheds, and I had, I mean, less than a handful of pictures of that deer. <laughs> less than a handful. Now. If he shed his antlers on me and we're seeing him and eventually killing him, that tells me he's spending some serious time on that farm. Yeah. But we're not getting pictures of him. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another example. Then there was on a different farm, probably a little bit before that, um, same thing. I had a buck, multiple sheds, no pictures. I feel like, you know, you feel like you get pictures of every deer on the farm, but you don't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if, if you're finding their sheds or you're seeing them, but you're not getting pictures, that's telling me that they must be kind of camera shy. There's I, Unless they just don't move like the majority of the deer do, or maybe they're not as active on scrapes, which is where I keep a lot of my cameras. But <clears throat> I don't know what the reason is, but I think there probably are certain deer that are definitely camera shy. They don't yeah. tell you the whole, the whole story, so... Yeah, that that those are some really interesting uh, pieces of evidence that you have there to, you know, just like 
I wouldn't say, I mean, obviously you're still running cameras. It doesn't answer the debate, but it definitely gives evidence that says, no, this isn't as cut and dry as uh, everyone thinks. And um, I think what it may be, if there is an answer in all of the, in all of this is that you cannot be haphazard with your camera use. And um, people might hear that and think, well, yeah, duh. But I think that, um, a lot of people actually are kind of haphazard with it, you know, and I think they're advertised in a way to be haphazard, you know, like, uh, the one that always amazes me is when people put them on like a stake at eye level for a deer out in a, a food source or something, you know, and, uh, it's just like this camera is right there for them to see, smell, be, you know, the flash go off and I, I don't think there's hard. I mean, unless you buy like a really, really, um, inexpensive camera, the white flashes I think are pretty much, you know, gone. Everything is now like infrared or, um, the, what do they call them? The black flash cameras. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that that probably helps. Um, we had Jake Hofer on the podcast from uh, Exodus Trail Cameras, and he talked about, um, I think it was actual study that somebody did um, where uh, they looked at how infrared flashes affected uh, buck behavior. And um, it didn't really seem to uh, bother him too bad uh, based on what he was saying, which was really interesting. Um, so I think it helps, you know, to go to one of those options. But even still, like just having that thing that they're definitely going to see at some point. And, uh, you know, pressure affects deer in weird ways. You know, whether somebody's, you know, the stand that I put up tonight, I told, I was telling my wife, Caitlin, I, I said, you know, this is a really good spot. Like I'm going to see deer from here. In fact, I got a shot on a deer from basically that spot just i was hunting on the ground last year um but i said i have to be hunting this just under the perfect conditions because where this is this is like a tourniquet stand you know if i'm giving negative pressure from this stand point it chokes off deer movement across the it, it you know it's like such a such a pivotal pivotal spot for deer moving across our farm and even from neighboring farms. And so I think a camera can almost be the same thing. Obviously not as big an impact as a guy sitting in a tree stand can be, but you know, you put, you might have like your quote unquote kill plot or something like that. And if you have a, a camera that, you know, the young deer probably aren't going to be as bothered by it, but maybe that, oldest wisest buck who's had a couple negative human run-ins where he's been shot at or even wounded in the past and he's extra cautious you know he might he might see that camera in there and he'll never be there for you to get that shot and so i think that i think that if there's any kind of lesson to take out of this other than yeah you can't just totally rely on trail cameras is if you're going to use them uh, you gotta, it's, you gotta strategize that as much as you do with where you put your tree stands. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's just, it's tough. You know, there's, a, there's exceptions to everything and there's no one certain technique that's going to work 
you know, across the board right. in all applications. And I, I just would definitely emphasize that I wouldn't let, I don't let trail cameras dictate my hunting near as much anymore as what I used to. You just gotta, you gotta take them for what they are and you gotta recognize that they're not going to capture everything out there. And I don't have a picture of a buck for a couple of weeks, but I got a gut feeling that I need to get in there and get after him. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to stay out of there because of the cameras. And there's a few years ago that I would let that happen. And I think I probably missed on, missed out on some opportunities because of it. Maybe not. But. Yeah. So, so let's go with that gut feeling. Obviously there's some sign that you're seeing in the woods, some history that you've probably learned. Um, what kind of sign is like really, I mean, farms hunt differently throughout the season uh not just because of human pressure either but just because of what what's going on in a deer's life and what's going on in the environment around him is just constantly fluctuating and um you know what kind of sign are you keying in let's just start early season where are you going to be based on sign what sign are you seeing uh, that's going to get you into a tree stand in a certain location in the early season. A lot of my stuff, you know, these properties that I that I hunt currently, most all of them I've been hunting my entire life, so I do got a lot of historical information, and so that that's going to play a big big role. I know where they like to be on certain crop rotations, sure, and, you know, certain times. But um, I like to be I like to hunt food sources early season, and so that's either going to be you know, if you can get right over a freshly cut cornfield or bean field, I mean, you'll have, it, it seems like as soon as they, especially if they go out and combine corn, uh, those deer just get out there, you know, just almost immediately as soon as sometimes before the combine tractors even get out of the field, it's almost like it's a new playground for them, a new, new area. But so those are always hot spots. Um, sometimes a little bit earlier than that, like opening day, if, if you can find some acorns, if there's a hot acorn tree, I'm going to be in and around that. And that's something I've got, a, I've gotten away from first uh, deer I ever killed with a bow was over a hot acorn tree. And that's mm. how dad used to hunt over good, you know, especially white oaks. It seems like they, they favor the white oaks a lot of times, especially in that early season over the red oaks. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you find a good hot tree, then I mean, it, it can be a killer spot early especially if you're not concerned about the quality of deer that you're that you're going for and the big mm-hmm. bucks are hitting them too but uh if you're willing to shoot one of the first ones that comes in because a lot of times they get in and it's hard to not have them smell where you've come in or out and mm-hmm. um you know they spend so much time right around there close to you a lot of times it's it's easier if you shoot one of the first ones that comes comes in but i probably got away from that because it tends to be a little bit more intrusive you know to try mm-hmm. to get back to the get way in there more. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, but sometimes you can find one of those really good trees right along the edge of a field and boy, it's just like a perfect smorgasbord. And if it's right along, if you can find some that's right on the edge of a corner soybean field, usually there's kind of like a little bit of a bare, a bare, you know, mm-hmm. there's bare dirt from where that crop ends and where the timberline starts yep. just from where they've been spraying and it had been worked in the spring or whatever, but they just hadn't planted all the way over. And so those acorns are really easy for the deer to get after. And so if you can find one of those spots, it can be, it can be killer. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, do you like staging areas in October? 
Really, uh, especially that first half, it's going to be centered almost entirely around food. Well, yeah, I mean, like a staging area where, like, you know, where you go from, like, yeah, you go from, like, deep woods to it's kind of like more of a thicket, you know, and then into a field. Um, I guess the reason I ask that is because I find, especially in early October, when it's still pretty hot out, um, it seems like the bucks just kind of wait to really get going until the last 15 minutes or so of legal light. And they're, they're going to oftentimes, if you have standing corn, they might be bedded in there, but, but also they like to bed in the shaded timber too. It seems if there's decent browse and ground cover in there. Um, do you, do you ever try and go to a spot like that in October? I haven't historically. I know guys do it and have had really good luck with it. And, uh, but I've just been one as, as you know, I kind of, I just poke around on the fringes really until you get almost to Halloween, you know, really October 25th, mm-hmm. usually kind of the date where I'll start to get in there and hunt some of those more interior spots, kind of like what you're talking. So I'll kind of err on the side of caution and, and I'm going to hang out probably at about where their destination is going to be, whatever that food source or where they're going to enter a big ag field or something. Mm-hmm. And that's just because those areas are places I can slip in and out of, you know, with minimal intrusion. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to disturb too many deer. You might bump off some deer if you're hunting, if it's a big field or something when you're getting ready to get out. But I kind of feel like um, I don't like to do it. I have somebody that come pick me up. That's a better option. But if a deer is two or 300 yards out in the field, that's if you climb down and, and they see you cutting across the field, head back to your pickup, they don't get near as spooked out as if they were within 20 or 30 yards of you. You know, yeah. it's just, it's different. Well, and I've also noticed the difference, <clears throat> you know, in morning dark versus uh, evening dark. Um, evening dark, they just seem to be a lot more relaxed because they know that their cover is getting better by the moment, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, so they, they just aren't as easy to spook. One time I was doing an early muzzleloader hunt in, uh, Iowa here. And, um, uh, I was hunting from the ground under this, uh, real short, I don't even remember what kind of tree it was. Um, and, uh, it was kind of a bushy tree. And I, I was tucked in there. Well, there's tall grass all around me. And, um, when I went to leave, there was probably 20 deer around me and I could not scare the things away. Like I could, I was was snort wheezing at them, you know, just trying to like give them some kind of like deer noise because I didn't want to just like get up and, and walk out of it. But they were, I mean, they were like out there. Hey, we're here for the evening, you know, like (laughs) it's dinner time, you know, and I never did hard spook any of them. I just kind of had to finally, after being there for so long, just had to like crawl out of there and, and, uh, you know, no harm, no foul. But, um, the, uh, uh, other thing that I kind of noticed about what you're describing is you kind of almost use October for almost like observation sits. It sounds like, like your, your primary goal of getting into those locations isn't necessarily, yeah, tonight's a kill night. It's a, yeah, it might be, but I'm really trying to get, gather some more Intel here. Is that, is that accurate? Yep. 
Absolutely. So it's an opportunity to gather some more intel and it's an opportunity to just kind of refine your your process as you get closer mm, to good point, you know, yeah. prime time. It never fails. Usually those first couple sits out, like you're going to end up in the tree and it's going to be like, oh, I forgot my binoculars, I forgot mm-hmm. my face mask or, you know, whatever a little miscellaneous yeah. item it is. You know, that tends to happen. But by the time late October rolls around, I want to know that when I'm grabbing my pack and I've got my process down as a truck that I'm not leaving anything back there that's going to negatively, you know, impact my, my hunt that I'm getting ready to head out on. Yeah. So that's another part of it. And I think you kind of get, I've heard some guys refer to them as your predator eyes. You just, you're not as good of a hunter on October 1st as what you are on December 1st. I'm yeah. not anyhow. Yeah, that's I mean, a good I point. get better, I feel like, as the season goes on. You just get a little more kind of zoned in. And, and uh, so I'm kind of, I'm using some of those early season sets for that. And I did, I shot a doe last year, first night out. It was October 2nd. I didn't get out opening night, but made it out the next night and killed a nice doe. And so I'm putting myself in spots where I can, get a doe and uh i've been more aggressive probably on the early season stuff here i say aggressive not from a stand selection standpoint but from just the number sits yeah been hunting a lot more in october just since i transitioned over to the stick bow it, it that lends itself to more early season stuff i'm hunting lower i'm hunting more on the ground i'm um you know, it's warmer, the clothes, you know, less clothes and things. Mm-hmm. But, so, yeah, that observations, but putting myself in a spot to have some success to it. It's nice to kind of take the edge off, um, get a deer or two in the freezer in October. That's what we, we eat that yeah. year round. So it's like right now we're kind of getting down to where there's not that much burger and definitely not much for yeah, I know we're getting there. real thin. I'm I'm starting to starting to really feel it right now. Yep. So mm-hmm. it's nice to get one get one down, get in the freezer, get that one in the freezer, and then uh, you may be a little more selective after that. But yeah, well, that's a, I think that's a good way to look at it. You know, you have those have those uh, reasonable expectations, but I yeah I so it's I have a totally different you know way of of viewing how a deer season goes than what you do because I've, I've I've learned it at a much later time so like the imprinting on me is not there you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I, I don't have and in some ways that's damaging I'm sure but in other ways I think it's helped me you know what I mean because I always heard everyone talk about you know how good November is how how um you know you just got to be out there in november as a that's what you live for and i've definitely seen that now you know now that i've bow hunted for several years and and uh i've gone through some novembers i definitely see like i have seen what people are talking you know like i rattled in my first buck last year that was crazy you know from probably close to a half mile away this buck all of a sudden came in you know and and uh you know seeing you know bucks walking up and down the river walking like in the water you know bucks uh just different ones just moving it's almost like uh on like a uh uh video game um remember uh, back in the day you're a, you're a fellow millennial uh 
um, what was it? 007, GoldenEye, N64. And uh, you'd be like playing your your buddies and uh, you're like, uh, everyone's, you know, running around trying to shoot each other. And you just have like, uh, like all these people in this giant room. That's what it felt like. I was in this 40 acre block of timber and there were just like all these bucks like floating around in there. And it's like, man, this is what people talk about when they're living for. But also it's very random. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, it's almost like, um, playing the slot machine you know you're like you're going going to your stand you're yanking the handle on the slot machine and you're like all right what am i gonna get you know in in november you know what what buck is gonna what love sick buck is gonna come you know trotting past my stand and whereas in october it's like okay what buck is living here that i know is living here and um, how do I get where he's going to be, you know, and, and how, where are the, where are the scrapes where, you know, bucks are going to be looking for to, you know, get us their own survey of who's in the area and, and where are the rub lines and where are the beds and where, you know, you, and I like that. I like that predictability. You definitely don't see as many deer, but, um, I feel like you can be almost a little more surgical too. You know, you can, you can uh, really break down, okay, if this is the condition, then this is the expectation for, for or if I sit here, I expect deer to show up there. And um, I really, really enjoy that about October. Um, and, and honestly, I think I like October uh, more than even I like November, which is awesome. But but I, I just really like that predictability of, of October. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, for me, I'm an, I'm a November guy, but there's, there's a lot of good opportunities in October. I mean, shoot, look at the deer you killed last year, you know, in in mid October, just an absolute slammer. And I've never really had that kind of success in October. And so that's why I've always leaned more toward November. Um, Shot one decent buck on like October 3rd or 4th one time. And then, the rest of them have been the 25th of October or later. Yeah, I remember and, you uh, killed. I remember you killed uh, with your uh, stick bow back in 2020. You shot a. Remember that white belly up buck? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was that was a nice. That deer. was October 25th. Yep. So that was he's the best October buck I've ever shot. But so you you've got a lot of really good memories of, of October and have seen some awesome deer or killed some awesome deer. Whereas like really the whole month of October outside of the very last week has offered me very few opportunities. I, I really can't think of any opportunity. I can't even think of hardly any sightings of mature deer in the first three, four, first three weeks of October, we'll say. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of it, I think, it totally depends on the farms that you're hunting. Yeah. You know how your farms lay out when they're, you've got some, you know, your main farm there, it's really good early, especially when the mm-hmm. crops are, are still in. Yep, exactly. And, uh, I'm almost the opposite on that. I mean, I want them to get, I want the corn out, get it out, <laughs> because it's kind of like, it's like fishing out on the river right now. 
there's no fish in the backwaters because the backwaters are about six inches deep or dry. Yeah, yep. They're all in the channel. Well, when that corn's out, they're all in the timber or yep. in the little ditches and draws, and it just chokes them down. And I'll go from seeing maybe nothing to a few deer a night to seeing that half a dozen or eight, like almost immediately. Yeah. And so, but it's it just depends on the farm, and and uh, you're gonna you're going to have more success in the middle of October because you've experienced it now and you're going to keep seeking it out. Whereas I haven't had that success. So I keep kind of, I keep buying my time until late October, November, but, um, it's a, it's a fan month. Love October. It's a beautiful time to be out there. It's usually yeah. really comfortable. And some of those mid October, those cold fronts kind of like yeah. those frosty mornings, like you experienced last year, they're absolutely magical. I mean, I haven't had the success, but I've been out there. I feel it. There's plenty of deer moving. I just haven't ever had the right one in those kind of situations. And I don't usually, I rarely ever hunt mornings, you know, but look what you did last year on a mid-October morning. So it's different for everybody, but it's a great month regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of it has to do with, with just the property you're on. Like you said, you know, the, the reason I love, in fact, I, I have asked the guy who leases our farm ground, I've asked him, Hey, if, if everything else is equal, if you wouldn't mind just harvesting here last, I really appreciate that. And he does that. And man, has that helped me out. And, uh, uh, just because, where our farm is we have yes we have probably more timber than than 90 percent of the farms in you know a couple sections of of land around us um but but just a couple sections to the north of us there's a guy who who has um you know a lot of habitat and once our corn comes down the like you said, you know, everything gets choked down into the timber. Well, you know, if you have a lot of timber, but it's only, you know, five, 10, maybe 15 acres of timber, that's not going to hold 30 deer. You know what I mean? Right. That's going to hold, you could probably figure on, you know, maybe a deer per acre, I guess you could probably, would probably be a pretty fair, um, with the exception of like does and fawns. That's, that's probably a pretty fair conversion rate, I would say. But when that corn's up, man, now we're holding, you know, a lot of deer. And um, if I can figure out, because they're not going to stay in the deer all night, or they're not going to stay in the corn all night. They're going to come out. And if I can figure out where they're going to come out and, um, you know, what what they're going to be feeding on and when they're going to do it, then I can, I can make a play, I feel. Whereas once that corn comes down, now I feel like I, it's almost so random that a deer shows up on the farm that it's almost like it's a, we become a transition area instead of a, a destination area, if that makes sense. Sure. Yep. So, whereas if you got a big block of timber where you're, where you're at, or maybe your property and your neighbor's property and the neighbor to them all make up this one, you know, big contiguous, you know, maybe hundred acre ravine, you know, stuff that can't be farmed is always going to be timber, you know, creek bottom, whatever. Um, now, yeah, I can, I can, I think I would probably 
you know, be more of a November guy, but, but you got to hunt what you got. And, and I think that's a, what we're talking about here is a good illustration to anyone listening in that just because you hear me do something that works or Garrett do something that works or anyone else. Yeah. I mean, definitely take away the things that they have to say that have been, that have helped them, but it's not necessarily the same in your circumstance. You got to really figure out what your circumstance lends to. And if it's public land, that's another, that's a whole new variable uh, because human pressure is such a huge part of that then too. So, but man, speaking of that, this is a perfect transition. What are your, you know, like describe for our listeners here, uh, a, you know, two days in October that, you know, describe the conditions. These are days you got to do what you can to be in a stand in October. Anytime there's a, a hard cold front that comes through, if you're seeing and the more drastic, the better. Um, so there's going to be some nice warm days in October where it's, it might be 70 or 80 degrees. That's not uncommon in our, in our geography mm-hmm. to have those kind of conditions in the middle of October. If it goes from that to a high of 45 and, you know, and just within a 24-hour period, I mean, it just drops and drops fast, you need to find a way to be in a tree because those deer are going to be on their feet. They're going to be up, out of their bed early, and uh, that's still time I'm going to be hunting over some food sources or on, on the way to the food source or yep. in and around. I like being around scrapes, too, so food and with their, with some scrapes nearby, which a lot of times if you're around food and here, ag fields, there's going to be some, at least scrapes, edge scrapes. Um, but they're going to get up on their feet and they're going to visit those scrapes a little bit earlier in those kind of conditions. So you definitely can't overlook those hard, cold fronts. Those best, probably one of the best times to kill a big buck of the whole year. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's 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 great advice. So, so definitely hunting those cold fronts, and I have found that to be true too. There's some guys that don't believe in; they think that the cold front thing is a myth, and I just I I can't see where they're coming from because I mean they say, well, I just think that hunters are more optimistic and therefore more observant on cold fronts, which that might be true that we we'd feel that way, but to me. I mean, it's the difference of, um, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden, if I look really close to the trees here, yeah, I do see more deer. It's no, they're like in the wide open. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And they're, they're up, they're up, you know, if you've been hunting consistently through some of those warmer days, you're seeing some deer in the last few minutes of light. Once that cold front hits, you're seeing them a couple hours before last light. They're up. It's the, you know, older age class mm-hmm. deer. It just, you, you see it every year, like clockwork. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like the further into the month you get, the more powerful that is. Like, so a hard cold front on October 18th is going to be more powerful than one maybe on October 5th. Yeah. Um, but cause they're just getting, you're getting closer and closer and closer to that pre-rut time. Their testosterone levels continue to increase every single mm-hmm. day. And, uh, that's a good, that, you know, I, that, that's a good point. What you just said right there. Their testosterone levels are changing every day. They're increasing every day. They're getting more ruddy every day. And uh, I think a lot of times we we just view it as a calendar. 
oh, we just turned the page to November, you know, it's like a switch, you know, an on-off switch. And it's not that way. It's going to be a gradual build up until, you know, that peak rut time frame in, you know, a week into November. So it's that's a great point. I've never heard somebody really quite quite put it that way. Um, that That's a really good point there to remember. Um, yeah, definitely a, a buildup, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but it just seems like when you get those cold fronts, it just, it adds fuel to the fire. Yeah. Um, they really get, they really get wound up at the heat. The heat will keep them kind of shut down, but mm-hmm. yeah, I have, a, pretty excited. I have a really good friend. I'd love for you to meet this guy sometime. Um, Noel Gandy, uh, just mm-hmm. an absolute mm-hmm. shot, shot two booners last year. Um, just a, uh, an awesome guy, great communicator and a great hunter. And, um, he was the one who first got me thinking, he's like, you know, people talk about the October lull. Um, he's like, I mean, just think about it. There's 70 to 75 degree days in October and these deer are already putting on their winter coat. You know, the heat makes such a difference. So therefore when there is that cold front, it's like, man, finally I can get up and, you know, stretch my legs at an earlier time. And so I almost think that along those lines, you mentioned that October 5th, you know, that early, early October date. I think if you got a couple of like seventies days and then boom, you dip down into a, and it's probably, you know, if it's going to be like a real drastic, like 25, you can expect a storm, you know, you're not, you're probably not going to (laughs) be, you know, like if you see, if you see a 25 degree temperature change in the forecast, it's probably not going to be a great day to hunt. It's probably going to be a miserable storm, but you know, if you see like a, you know, Oh, the overnight temperatures are going to steadily drop into the forties. Um, or maybe even high thirties, um, after, you know, being in the, you know, high fifties for, for, uh, the last few weeks that can sometimes I think be enough of a difference that like gets them excited for that change. You know, almost like people talk about right after the first significant snowfall deer kind of are like running around, like, you know, almost like that like you talked about in a freshly harvested field, it's almost like they're playing around a little bit, mm-hmm. just, just like excited about the the change. And I think that a cold front can do that too. Would you agree if it's coming after like just the doldrums, you know, steady weather for, for a week and then all of a sudden a big change. Um, even if it's not very deep into October, I think that that can be a really hot time too. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, we just, we had one of the hottest weeks of the year there last yeah. week. We work outside, so you experienced it. Mm-hmm. And then this morning we woke up and it was in the upper mid upper forties. How yeah. did you feel this morning walking out the door? Yeah, I put I put a uh, flannel on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> felt felt right. I felt like conquering the world today, didn't you? Yeah, I know that's right. I did. I mean, yep. you just it's no different for them. My dog felt better today. She had, she don't like the heat. You know, she got <laughs> colder. She took a couple extra laps around the house and feels good. And I bet there was deer up and moving all over the place this morning. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. Even in the summertime, you can see that happen. You know, if it's a, sometimes you get the, you get maybe three cool evenings throughout the summer, just for whatever reason there, the temperature really dips. That's when you see deer out all over Mm -hmm. the place. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't really understand why anybody would try to, uh, 
say otherwise on those on those cold fronts if you just go out it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious yep now i'm gonna start contrast yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So, so cold fronts are a, a one to key. And I would even put in there too, you know, people dog and hunting mornings in October, but if you get that cold front that settles in, uh, when I shot my buck last year, that was just perfect timing for that. That's when that cold front yep. set, set in. And, um, it was a perfect time to be out in the woods. And, yep. um, <clears throat> so don't be afraid to hunt mornings. But then the other thing that I'm going to guess you're going to say for your second type of day in October is just when you're getting into that pre-rut, right? Yeah. Late, so right late there, October. Yeah. There's just, there's always exceptional deer that are killed right there from the 25th through the 31st. You know, it's just a really, really good time. Again, if you can get one of those cold, cold snaps right in there, um, that's going to make it even better. So, so- so are you are you getting in between, or are, are you are you playing it like the rut? Are you getting downwind of doe bedding, or are you focusing mostly on scrapes at during that time frame, late October? Still, I'd I'd say focusing more on scrapes than anything. I mean, they're mm-hmm. and and still hunting some of those food source stands because they're going to be coming out into those areas where they know the does are going to be. And they're just kind of keeping tabs on them. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, it's unbelievable what they can do. I mean, they, they can, they know that it's getting close. They know that it's not quite there yet, but by the 28th, 29th of October, there's a, there's a doe or two on the farm. That's probably only a few days away from Mm -hmm. starting to come into heat. And so they're, keeping pretty close tabs on them. And I think that time of the year, they're going to be pretty apt to, to head to those destination food source areas and check on the does. And so if you were going to hunt maybe more in the morning, the guy might try to get down one to some doe bedding areas and he might be kind of making a swoop through just keeping tabs on them. But, um, scrapes more than anything, because they're going to be up and, I, I haven't seen a ton of it. I've seen some of it, but trail cameras, it's undeniable. I mean, mm. there's, I probably get more daylight pictures over scrapes. It seems like, and some of the places where I have my cameras are, they'd be really, really hard to hunt. It's not impossible. So, um, you can get pictures of them there every year daylight, but to get in there and get them killed would be a different story. But yeah, um, late October going to be around some scrapes probably. Yeah. Well, that's, that's uh, great advice as well. So, uh, October's taken care of November. I think I'm starting to learn with November that it's more of a historical thing, right? For a farm, like what days are, is a farm really good? Would you agree with that? Yep. And you kind of hit on it earlier too with November. It's just so sporadic and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of haphazard. So, there's there's days every november like on anybody's farm i mean that there there's at some point in time there's going to be a mature buck chasing a doe around on that farm and you can kill him from just about any tree and you'd think you're a genius no you might be in, <laughs> it might be the only time that deer's ever went by that tree in his life but if you're there on that day you might just get him but um yeah it's it's there i go off historical but 
it, anything can happen in November. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm getting more aggressive. I'm getting in tighter to some bedding areas. I'm getting into some of the more interior stands, spots that I hadn't probably sat all year long. Um, sometimes I got certain farms that I maybe not, I don't even hunt until November. So just getting a little bit more aggressive, getting in there tighter, hunting longer, hunting, you know, as long as I can, even to the midday hours. And, yeah. I really, I really believe in all day sits. Um, and part of that is where, where I do my, uh, rut hunting. Fike knows this farm. He's been there. Um, it's a travel, it's a destination farm. So it's like, what, what else am I going to do? You know, <laughs> while I'm out, while I'm out there, I may as well just stay in the stand. And, and I, you know, I've been rewarded with that. There's, there's been those midday opportunities that, um, definitely, remind you that yeah you should you should uh be in the stand as much as you can during during that time frame and uh it's a grind i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pretend it isn't you know staying in that staying in that stand all day long or you know and and i've even relocated you know midday try and be smart about how you do that but you can definitely get away with a lot more um uh, during that time of year as well. So, but yeah, staying on stand as long as you can for that day, I think is, is really important for people to do. But then, um, along with that, so there's this theory that I hear, and I think I've seen it play out enough. Not that I have a ton of, you know, November experience, but just from what I've observed, both hunting and both just driving down the road and seeing what's going on. It seems to be, well, and I've heard other people say this, so it's not my theory. Um, After like, say, Thanksgiving or maybe the week of Thanksgiving, very late November, it seems like big bucks are moving more then. And I heard the reason was so in other words you're not going to see as much of that running activity where the woods are just absolute crazy and you got a different deer walking past your stand every two hours um but the you see more of like it filters down to the more mature bucks and the theory that i've heard is it's because it's not their first rodeo they understand that there's still does out there to be bred, but also it has to do with the fact that because they're a mature buck, they have dominance on their home turf and they don't need to, you know, they don't need to leave their home farm to find uh, breeding opportunities because they've already pushed all the little bucks away and the little bucks are the ones that are going crazy through early November and and uh, because they they can't get access where they're at as easily because they're not the dominant buck. But then once you once that buck that old mature buck has bred all the does on his farm, that's when he has to start going and searching on other farms. And so it's a good time to kill an older age class buck on the tail end of the rut because of that factor. Would you would you agree with that or have you seen anything to go along with that to su- substantiate that or do you think that's just yeah maybe maybe not. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly and uh I've experienced it firsthand. Um I know I've killed a couple of my best deer and one of them came on November 
fourth, and one of them came on November twenty seventh. Uh, that buck I talked about earlier that my dad killed in 2019 Stumpy, that was November 30th, yes. November 29th or 30th. And then uh, not uh, last year, but the year before, fall of 21, I seen the largest typical that I've ever seen from the stand on November, I think it was 26th or 27th. Mm. The only time I've ever seen that year. And, uh, you know, we're talking 100 and 80 inch typical and so i mean that that last few days of november first couple days of december can definitely be killer and and i think it's for the reasons that you mentioned earlier those bucks know that there's still opportunities out there to you know they're they're trying to secure that last breeding opportunity Mm -hmm. they know that it happens every year there's some does that adult bills that came in a little bit later or there's some doe fawns that are starting to come in. So what I've read before, um, and I think it came from a QDMA study, uh, they said that once a doe fawn reaches 90 pounds, a lot of times that's when she'll, she could cycle mm. in the first heat. Now, so that could be December 1st, it could be January 1st, it could be February even, and mm. extremely, you know, and she may not come in at that, that late, but um, there's potential there. So anyhow, the point is I don't believe in a second rut. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I think there's very few does that probably don't get bred when they come in the first go round. I've heard that theory before too, that if a doe doesn't get bred when she comes in to heat the first ground, then she'll cycle back in 28, 30 days, something like that. I don't think that probably happens very much. Yeah. I don't, yeah n- not when there's, bucks. Right, exactly. Not when the c- competition is as high as it is. Even if, I mean, it might be a year and a half old buck, but he, he'll yeah. he'll get her bred if it, if there's no right. other buck around to chase him off, he'll he'll succeed. Um, but it's, yeah. so it's mostly the doe fawns. But those big bucks, they know that there's still some opportunities out there. Those last year, year, you know, I always think of it as bell curve. So I've seen hard chasing running activity as early as october 27th um it's one of the best days i've ever had my life ever hunting my dad actually uh, missed the buck that morning that i ended up killing november 24th or 25th Mm. so um it was just really cool but there was a hot doe and there's i mean there's no denying it and it was october 27th and uh but you, I've seen them chase those in December too. So mm-hmm. just opposite ends of the bell curve. Yeah, that's yeah. it's definitely not. It's really tempting, especially over here in Illinois. You know, you hunt hard because the third week of November is the firearm season um, for a lot of our bow hunters. That's kind of the unofficial end of archery season for them. And uh, they maybe they gun hunt and they go out for the weekend, and a lot of them don't go back out on that Thanksgiving weekend in between the first and second firearm season. And I, I think that's a big mistake. There's some fantastic hunting opportunities to be had during that time frame, And it's, it's paid off for, for us multiple times. Yeah. If I had to say there was a, you know, again, from a newer bow hunter, if I had to say there was a point in the season, that's the most underutilized, I would say it's probably that time frame. It's like, uh, Everyone almost becomes so fatalistic about the route. Oh, I didn't fill my tag. You know, it's November 20th and, you know, the boat, the ship has sailed. You know, I missed the boat. 
mm-hmm. but no, not true. Um, especially with what, you know, all the evidence that Fike just talked about there. So uh, I think it's great news. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to have that fatalistic attitude. You can still stay optimistic going into the end of the month. And, and, um, not only could you get a buck, but I'd say based on what Fike's saying and based on what I've seen, you could get, you got, it's a really great time to get a great buck. Um, so, so, uh, definitely hold on to it and i think also it could be a good time to be rattling um i think during the you know the earliest days of the rut is probably the best time to be rattling but i think um you know those big bucks are on their feet because they're seeking and uh if you can if you can take advantage of that while they're still in that seeking mode um rattling could could help you get there so would you agree with that too Yep, absolutely. So a guy that I think really highly of, Mike Mitten, he that's his favorite time of the year to rattle is last few days of November on mm. until probably the that's tenth of December. You know, that there's a week or ten days in there that he really, really likes to rattle. And uh you know, and Bucks hear that, they think there's a fight going on. The only reason then Bucks are gonna be fighting is over an opportunity to to breed a doe. So if another one hears it he's immediately going to think there's a fight, there's an opportunity. I need to go over there and check it out because this is the last, I mean, this is the only game in town at that yeah. time. Of the year. There's no other, there's probably no other does that are also heat and it's potentially the last opportunity of the year. Yeah. And those big bucks, they, they know that mm-hmm. and they want to be able to capitalize on it if they can. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Um, so, you you just keyed us up perfectly here. We're transitioning into the end of the end of the season. We're into no, December, and um, uh, at least here in Iowa, you got your gun seasons, your regular gun seasons, the first weekend of December. Then the uh, second gun season runs. I want to say it's only, I think it's a week. I think it's you get you might get two weekends with the second second gun season and um uh if not you get like you get a couple extra days at least but then um you go into after that you go into the late muzzleloader season and then it's archery season again too but you you just got to archery hunt with blaze orange on um so that to me is the most intimidating time of year to um harvest a deer is during that that late season and because of the way work is unfolding uh for me this year um i can't do my favorite uh i probably won't be able to do my favorite early muzz season um which has just been so good to me so i'm going to be out there in the late season this year with uh as far as my firearm season hopefully i'll have a buck on the ground with my bow before then and uh but i'll be out there Late muzzy. How do you, I mean, what are the days that you got? uh, To me, it just seems like every day is so much the same. Once you get to that, like every deer is now in survival mode. Um, uh, So we won't even focus on because everything is so unpredictable. And so, you know, I think honestly, if you, maybe I'll throw this tip in there. If you're hunting that gun season one or two, 
here in Iowa during that time frame or in another state, or even if, you know, like in Illinois, if you have if your gun season is in November, um, things are so crazy then it's hard to predict, but I'd say play it based on the pressure, pretend you're bow hunting based on the pressure that you're seeing. Um, that's what I would advise anyone to do. Um, so if you have total control over the property you're on, you're the only one that hunts it, then just keep doing your normal thing as if you were bow hunting, but now you got a gun in your hands with the exception of, if you know, a good vantage point where you can, you know, take a hundred yard shot or something like that, some way that you, you, you know, you could do something differently that you couldn't do with your bow. That'd be the exception. But otherwise I would just hunt it like you're bow hunting then same kind of pressure. Um, but let's say it's past that, you know, the regular gun seasons, things are slowing down again, as far as craziness goes. What do you do, Gary, to get a deer on the, to get a deer on the ground during this, these last, you know, few weeks of the season? I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a grind. Like you said, there's a lot of the days kind of run together and it's just more and more and more of the same, but I'm going to go back to it again and say, you know, the, the cold fronts, them, them extreme weather events that happen, that's, that can be some awesome times to get out there and, and take advantage of the late season. Um, you know, a lot of you guys that are over there in, in Iowa, they got those late gun seasons. Mm-hmm. They're hoping for the the nastiest weather that they can that they can get. You know, the the colder, the more snow, ice events, anything that's going to force those deer to have to get up and consume some calories to, in order to stay warm and and uh, endure those elements. And so, the nastier it is, the more calories they're burning just to stay alive, and they're going to have to refuel at some point. So they're going to get up on their feet earlier, hit to some of those late season food sources. So. Um, I don't think it probably matters corn or beans. I mean, there's guys that have arguments for each. I don't have a ton of experience. I don't have any properties where I can leave standing grain, but mm-hmm. if you've got a spot where there's plenty of leftover corn in a field, or if you do have an opportunity to hunt over standing soybeans or corn, that that's where I would be definitely focused on the food sources. Cause at that, in that late season, especially, you know, the bucks, they're wore down they're kind of a slave to their stomach at that point. They, mm-hmm. they really need to keep eating just to maintain the weight and the condition that they have. And, and if it's tough conditions, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to need to, they're going to need some fuel. So focus on um, high quality food sources and high energy food sources. And I think if you can stick it out, stay warm, that's a, that's a good place to be. Hmm. Good advice. So finding that food that that's preferred and uh, kind of a little tip on that. You know, if you have some snow on the ground, deer, deer trails are way easier to see. And while you're out driving around, you know, look at the fields and you'll see if you're looking close enough, you're just driving by at 55 miles an hour, you'll never see it. But you know, if you're like, Oh, you know what, that, that spot over there, it's got a few, you know, look at all those cedar trees, look at that South facing slope with those cedar trees or that CRP uh, strip or something like that, where you can almost like a shed hunter. In fact, exactly like a shed hunter, you know, where key in on those spots that you'd look to find sheds and then look for those trails. And they're probably going to lead you to 
a food source that all the deer in the neighborhood um, know about. Would you agree with that tactic? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, at this point now, <clears throat> I mean, you could still try and ambush a, you know, a bed to food uh, trail, but um, I would, I would now, especially for the, <clears throat> the late muzzleloader season, I would probably hunt that like uh, I, I would get to a good vantage point where I can uh, take advantage and really survey who's out there in that food and try and pick out a pick out the best buck available. Um, is that is that what your strategy would be in that case? Do you think? Yeah, if I had a firearm in my hand, you know, like a muzzleloader or something, I could reach out there and, and get a deer at 100, 150 yards. I'd want to get I'd want to get somewhere where I could utilize that gun's effective range and uh be in a spot where i can cover quite a bit of ground because they there's a lot of them that are going to be on the same trails but if you can get to a spot where it's like a hub and there's deer coming in from multiple directions and you mm. cover it all i mean you're just going to be increasing your odds tremendously in that kind of a scenario and uh definitely that time of the year I, i'm not saying a guy can't ki- get one killed in the morning but i think you're definitely better off on the evenings that time of year I think most of the time they're probably going to be bedded down before you even probably crawl out of bed in the morning or definitely before you park your truck at the farm. But, uh, mm, that's good advice. Exceptions to everything, but probably get up a little bit. I think they're more apt to get out of their bed early in the evening than to arrive to their bed late in the morning. Um, but it's, that's a tough, it's a tough time of the year. Um, so just trying to stay warm and, and having the ability to get out there and keep getting after it and just keeping your mental game strong. That's, that's probably as challenging as anything. Um, I can't remember which ones it is, but some of these guys that manage a lot of farms and have the standing food sources and have the tower blinds. I mean, there's several of those guys that I think if they could trade October and November, I mean, if they had to pick one month and one month on only to hunt, mature deer they'd probably pick december and late season wow. Wow. i mean if the, if as long as that deer is still alive and he's on the farm and you got good food source you're probably going to kill him i mean if you've got the ability if you've got the season we don't really we don't have that here in illinois because mm-hmm. we got a muzzleloader season and first second weekend of uh december that's not that's still too early i'm mm-hmm. talking like tail into december first part of january when it's it's brutal out there i mean you're gonna kill them if they're on the farm they're gonna get up they're probably gonna be in that field in daylight it's just a matter of being out there with them yeah yeah all excellent excellent tips this is such a good episode just a good breakdown of the whole deer season and i hope it gives everybody the hope as they go into each month that um, there's still a reason to be out in the stand if you haven't tagged out yet, or maybe you need to tag out early and now you can coach up your buddy who hasn't yet and, and help him out and give him some good advice on how to do that. I think everything that Fike had for us here is something that, that I can apply to my own season this year. And um, I'm excited for each phase of it. Although I do hope I, I uh, tag out pretty early. Um, I'm heading to Nebraska. I can't remember if I told you that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go yeah. hunt muleys for their late muzzle muzzle loader season with uh, Caleb, and uh, just super excited about that. But um, 
before we uh, wrap this one up, what's one way you hope to grow? I mean, you've been you've been hunting deer for a long time. Um, you're pro- so you're you're the same age as Jake. So you're 29, right? Yep. So you're coming up on 30 years, if I remember right. You started doing some stuff with hunting right around the age of 10. So you're right. coming up. You're coming up on 20 years of deer hunting, and uh, that's a lot of time. And uh, but there's nobody's nobody's totally arrived yet either. There's still ways that we all have to grow as hunters. What do you? What's what's an area of growth that you're going to focus on as a whitetail hunter this year? And then what's one challenge you would have for our listeners uh, to grow as whitetail hunters this 2023 season? So this year, um, you know, doing, doing the stick bow thing again. And, uh, I found that it's, it really hunting with stick bow lends itself to being on the ground. And, and, and if you're not on the ground, if you're in a stand for me personally, I gotta be pretty low in order to maintain my accuracy with them. But Mm -hmm. I am definitely much, much more comfortable and feel more comfortable with my shooting abilities if I'm on the ground. And, uh, I say that, and I, I've had a couple opportunities with the stick bow here in the last couple of years off the ground. It didn't quite, the shot didn't quite pan out, but mm. uh, I'm going to take from those experiences and uh, learn from them and hopefully apply it to this year in a, in a more successful way. And I really want to, I want to kill a deer on the ground with my stick bow. That's mm. one of my goals this year. And, and uh, if I can do it more than once, even better. I'm going to, I'm going to spend a lot more time ground hunting, I think, this year than what I have in, in past years. So, awesome. shot that mule. I mean, shot that mule deer out in North Dakota with Jake last year. Um, that was obviously I was on the ground at that time, but uh, to do it back here um, in the Midwest, it's a little bit of a different game. But I think it's, I think you know, you've done some of it, and it offers its own set of unique challenges. But there's a lot of benefits from it too, and it allows you to do some different things, be a little bit more mobile and it opens up some opportunities when you get in those little brushy draws like you were talking about where you hung your stand tonight and you're really struggling to find the right tree. Maybe there's a spot there on the ground, which I know you've been on the ground right there mm-hmm. before, but maybe maybe it's still the best option. I mean, yeah. you might hunt that stand this year and decide, you know what, this, this is kind of tough and it's not very comfortable and I might just be better off to sit right on the ground. But mm-hmm. so improving my ground game, that's what I want to focus on this year more than anything. And, uh, it's, it makes for some very exciting hunts. And so that's why I'm really intrigued by it. Not only does it, it lend itself to, you know, doing, carrying a traditional bow, but it sets up, you know, those close encounters, eye level. It, it's really exciting. So, yeah. and then uh, as far as something to we'll go ahead, Kent. Well, I, I love that idea. I, I think it's, I think it's great. And I think if, I think that was one of the biggest things that I, I don't know, I accidentally benefited from as a new hunter maybe was that because I didn't have any tree stands really starting out and I didn't even know how to put them up and and where to put them up. I just compensated by, well, I'm just going to hunt on the ground, you know, but through doing that, I learned, you know, a good skill in hunting from the ground. And if you want to be a Western hunter, tree stands really don't factor into that equation, you know, and, um, you gotta be able to cover ground, but also I think it helps you with playing the wind a lot. 
you know, you're just way less, way less, uh, your scent stream is so much shorter mm-hmm. when you're on the ground than, than up in the air. So I think it's a, I think it's a great way for, uh, not just you, but all hunters to, to be looking at myself included. So, yeah. So what's your uh, area of growth that you'd love to see for all other deer hunters or so challenge just, them to? Yeah. I, I would just encourage everybody to do what brings them the most satisfaction, fulfillment, so I know, you know, we talked about trail cameras, you and I both kind of shied away from them a little bit, but you're kind of going back toward them. Just mm-hmm. go in the direction that's going to bring you the most satisfaction and fulfillment. I've been, you know, I've always grown up around traditional archery, but I've chosen to do that more exclus- exclusively here in, in um, recent times. And that's what's bringing me a lot of satisfaction. But I guess the main thing is, I would encourage people to not take any shortcuts that could, you know, cost them the opportunity experience, you know, the full satisfaction of doing what, doing what would really make you the most excited and have the most fun and and get the most enjoyment out of it. So that could be, you know, limiting shot distances. Um, Maybe if you're somebody that feels like you've been comfortable to shoot out to 40, 50, 60 yards, try to challenge yourself to, to, keep your shots within 25 yards or 20 yards or, um, you know, maybe do like I'm doing a little more ground hunting or something like that. Maybe spend a little more time going out on some public ground, but just enjoy the process and uh, try not to focus as much on killing the big deer or the the specific deer. And definitely don't more than anything. I would uh, not try not to put too much pressure on themselves and just enjoy it because that's what we're out there for is, is to enjoy it. And uh, most of us aren't in a position where we're going to start to death. If we don't put some deer, yeah, in right. in. I know, uh, you know, it's not going to kill anybody if they don't shoot a really nice buck that they can put on the wall this mm-hmm. year. And so just try to enjoy it. Don't put as much pressure, have fun. And uh, you never, you never know. Um, just never know when your last season is going to be, never know when your last hunt's going to be. So, take full advantage of each of those opportunities and thank your wives too, or husbands. That's right. That's right. Be good to them. That's, yeah. They're a big part of what allows us to be successful and spend as much time out there as we do. So, yep. Yep. Very well said. And, uh, one that a, a challenge that I need to listen to, you know, sometimes it's easy to let the, let the other, uh, aspects of hunting that, um, we get too tied to the trophy side or the, you know, what's everyone else think of me as a hunter? What's, you know, what yada, yada, you go right on down the list. And that's not what it's about. What it's about is, is being out there and participating in nature, seeing, seeing the natural world around us in a totally different way that people who don't, uh, get to hunt or choose not to hunt what they, um, you know, never get to experience. And we get to experience that. And it's so special, uh, especially uh, as far as the you know the freedoms that we have in our country, I think hunting is one of the greatest of those freedoms. And so every time you get out in the in the deer woods is a special time. Make the most of it and and enjoy it. So yeah, I think that's a great challenge there from Fike. And uh, yeah, I'm going to listen to you on that, and I'm going to just soak it up this year and and uh, try and try and uh, be my best each time I'm out there 
but uh, also keeping everything in perspective as well. But, well, we're uh, winding this one down now, and uh, just so grateful to have Fike back on the show, and I'm thankful to you, the listeners, for coming back episode after episode. Um, uh, it's funny, when you uh, do a hunting podcast, um, you look at your analytics for, for listens and downloads and all that stuff, uh, right around uh, mid-August, you just see everything. Everyone's getting back on listening uh, to, to hunting content as much as possible, and that makes me happy because that shows people want to uh, be taught. They want to hear from these uh, great people that come on the show and have had so much success, and that means we have uh, wiser, more educated hunters out in the woods. So it's great, great to see that. Um, I hope you're gaining from the podcast. If you feel that way, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify. Greatly appreciate that. Um, it does. It's not just something to like, uh, you know, not just some shiny badge for us podcasters. It, it helps us. It gets uh, our show pushed out to more people when we when uh, we get those positive reviews so please do that if you haven't yet i've been seeing some come in lately so i really appreciate that and uh, also i want to uh, take a chance to thank the sponsors of the show first of all the presenting sponsor spartan forge use it all of the time um, it's such a critical part of this time of year you know this like where you're marking your stands and you're you're looking at terrain features on where you're going to be hunting, and you're still in the planning phase a little bit, but um, it gets even more important once the season gets here, um, being sure that you can uh, maybe find a new uh, spot if you're going to be hunting from the ground, find a new spot where the topography sets up well for doing so, uh, or maybe find a new place to knock on a door and totally call an audible because something that was out of your control happened on your farm that's going to make it a dead zone for a few weeks. Um, you know, use Spartan Forge from that mapping standpoint for that, but even uh, uh, more uh, more beneficial than the mapping, I would even say, is the deer behavior prediction. We're all busy. We have very few of us can go and hunt whenever we want to, and we got other commitments and everything, so time is of the essence. We have to prioritize that. Well, based on what you know about your farm, match it up with the right kind of deer movement that's uh, predicted by Spartan Forge. And uh, and it's not just full range days. I think everybody thinks that a full range day on Spartan Forge is really the only day you should be hunting. Maybe, maybe based on your property that is. Maybe you're just a purely a transitional piece of ground where deer are walking through your property to get to another destination, then yeah, full range is critically important for you. But if you got some bedding, and some interior food sources and so forth, a core area day can be just as good. You know where you're going to find that deer. They're going to be close to their bed. So use Spartan Forge. You can download the app for free, and then if you want the deer behavior prediction, uh, you can subscribe to that either through a monthly payment or a one-time yearly payment, which is what I choose to do. It's a little bit cheaper in the end, but also I'm just using Spartan Forge so much throughout the year that it makes sense to do that. So you can go to the show notes here, find a link to Spartan Forge, and go ahead and get going with them. And again, a big thank you to them for being the presenting sponsors of this podcast. Also sponsoring us is East West Hunts, a good friend, Alex Gruen, uh, the hunt planning extraordinaire, uh, is uh, just a 
a incredible resource to have if you were wanting to hunt in a new location. Um, you got to know the right answers to the tag application process. You got to know um, how to buy points, how to uh, have a realistic terrain that you can handle hunting in what gear you're going to need. Maybe you want to have a guide because the hunt is just like such a rare opportunity, like one of those 10 year, uh, weights. Yeah. You might want to have a guide when you can finally go there so you can capitalize on the, the great quality of that unit. Well, Alex will help you set up all of that. He'll take care of you from, from the time you begin planning till when it's time to find a taxidermist for your, uh, trophy. Uh, so go over to eastwesthunts.com and you can see the different services Alex offers. But what I'd really encourage you to do is to uh, schedule with him a free consultation. Um, so if you give it a try, you have nothing lost other than the time talking to Alex. And that's never that's never lost time. Uh, but you'll talk to Alex and uh, ask him, you know, tell him your specific circumstances, what your dreams are and all that. Alex will take you through that, give you a realistic plan. So I strongly encourage you to do that. And like I said, when you do uh, tag something, you're going to be looking for a taxidermist. Uh, so you're going to want to go to Old Barn Taxidermy. So start out, out at East West Hunts, get that hunt planned. Um, go to eastwesthunts.com. Tell them I sent you there, receive your 10% off, and then put that money towards your taxidermy work at Old Barn Taxidermy, which is located in Fort Madison, well, just outside of Fort Madison, Iowa. And uh, you can um, bring anything you shoot there, and they will take care of you. Um, they have been there, done that. Sam has done a lot of hunting all over the world, not just America, but all over the world. And he's been in the taxidermy business for decades. They have so many animals come through their shop every year. Over 500 deer alone come through their shop every year. They know deer. They do it right. And, uh, you don't have to worry about having to settle for bad taxidermy. Bad taxidermy is a curse, right, Gary? Uh, Nothing worse. You, you, every time you look at that thing, you uh, wish you you never looked at it the first time. That's and, right. Uh, that's not going to happen to you if you go to Old Bar. They're going to take care of you. They're going to do it the right way, and they have the experience to to back it. And I can tell you from being a customer myself, I've taken a lot of stuff to them, and I've always enjoyed the the final result. So, strongly encourage you to go to the link for Old Barn in these show notes find some more information on them and uh, this fall bring your work there and tell them I sent you and they need to know that uh, working with me is uh, working for them so uh, tell them that uh, that the first gen hunter podcast sent you to uh, old barn tax for me I'd greatly appreciate that well thanks again Gary and thank you to the listeners for uh, tuning in until next time everyone take care and take someone hunting <laughs>